sometimes, sometimes in life, things happen, and after they happen, nothing is ever the same again. I call them game changers. And I was looking at my buddy's blog this weekend. My friend Freddie T is a pastor in New York City, and he's got more kids than I can count. And two of them are twins, and they have just gotten to the age that it's time for them to say farewell to the passy. We've all been there. We've all said farewell to the passy at some point in our lives, and it has come time for them to do that. And so, Freddie T, being the dramatic person that he is, decides he's not just going to take the passy away, but since they're in New York, they're going to take a family field trip to the East River, and at the East River, the kids are going to give their passies a Viking funeral and cast them into the river and watch them sail away into the great unknown. And so, Freddie T has been coaching them for weeks about how this works. And what he's been teaching them is passies are for babies. So we're giving our passies to the baby fishies. And, and so their command is that Freddie T is going to say, hey, who takes the passy? And Lily and Elliot, the twins, are supposed to yell out, babies do, you know. And so they go and take their family field trip to the East River. And Freddie T's got his camera and he's kind of walking them through it. And his wife Susan's kind of guiding the kids, getting them where they need to be. And, and so at just the right moment, they reach through the gate and they kind of lob their little passies into the river, and you can kind of see them floating down the East River. And then to wrap up the video, Freddie T brings the twins together, and he says, Lily, Elliot, who takes a passy? And in unison, they both yell out, Me! <laughs> and they didn't quite figure out how much of a game changer this moment was going to be. You know, the passies are gone. They're no more. Life has changed fundamentally for these kids. And there are other game changers, game changers that hit a little bit maybe deeper in our hearts. I know when I was just a kid, I was hanging out with my mom at my grandmother's restaurant. And that was one of the happiest places that I knew. Awesome bar stools, you know, where I could spin around and get biscuits and gravy from my grandma. And all the food that she could put my way, I would just destroy it. And it was just so fun. All the people knew me. I loved that place. But one day, in the middle of that happy, awesome place, my mom says, Ryan, I need to talk to you. And, and she told me that she and my stepdad were going to be getting a divorce. And I remember for the rest of the day, hiding in my mom's car and just trying to sleep that thought away. Because I knew that this stepdad of mine wasn't going to be in my life anymore. And it was going to be a game changer for me. After that moment, nothing was going to be the same in my life. Another game changer. When I was, when I was 25, my dad passed away. Um, and it was just one of those moments when the Lord gives you strength to do something you never would think you'd be able to do, which is just to walk through that time of my life. Um, just a few months after he passed away, I discovered that it looked like my dad, before he passed away, had stolen my identity and had run up about $30,000 worth of debt in my name and then died before any of it got paid off. So all these weird loans that I'd never heard anything about were defaulting and they were in my name. It was crazy stuff. Um, 
um, that cloud kind of hung over me for almost almost ten years until recently I discovered that it in fact wasn't my dad who did that um, and I don't know if I can describe to you the relief and the joy that filled the moment when I discovered that my dad hadn't done that to me. But it was a game changer for me. Like my, I feel like I probably weigh about 20 pounds less than I did before that, you know? Crazy, crazy stuff. Life brings game changers all the time. Some of them are as insignificant as getting rid of our passy. Some of them are devastating, like finding out that our parents are getting divorced. Some of them are just absolute blessings when we discover that the person that we looked up to our whole life and thought had betrayed us had never betrayed us at all. We all go through these moments in our lives that change everything. And what what I want us to get our minds around today is that Jesus Christ is the ultimate. Nothing will ever be the same again. Everything has changed. Game changer. Jesus is the new everything. As we look at Colossians chapter 1, we're going to discover that all of history, everything that's ever happened, has been progressing forward to this time when God would reveal Himself to humankind through Jesus Christ. History had not just been some random series of episodes of the people of God falling into trouble and being rescued out of it. It wasn't just randomness that defined history, but God had been directing history intentionally to bring all of humanity to the point when they would receive His ultimate revelation, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, once He came onto this earth, changed everything. And I want us to look, starting in verse 13, we're going to kind of discover how it is that Jesus does this. I'm going to read 13 through 23, and then we'll together walk through it and discover how Jesus changes everything. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
As we look at verses 13 and 14, the first thing that we need to get our minds around is this language of deliverance. And what Paul is trying to communicate to us through this language of deliverance is that Jesus is the new exodus. Jesus is the new exodus. What happens in the exodus is that God's people are under the tyranny of a foreign king who also presents himself to them as a god. And under his tyranny, they are put to slavery, they are treated as second-class citizens, and they are held hostage away from their homeland. God delivers them from his hand by his mighty acts and then forms them as a new kingdom when he gives them his word. That's what happens in the Exodus. God rescues them and presents them with a new reality. And Jesus is the new Exodus. And let's hear exactly what Paul says. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. In other words, he has taken us from this place where we are ruled by darkness, where we are ruled by sin, where we are ruled by our own evil desires, where we submit ourselves to false gods, where we give our allegiance to those powers who are other than Christ. And in Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, God has delivered us from that reality. He has rescued us from Pharaoh. He has marched us across the Red Sea dry-footed. And He has presented us with a new reality. Where we are now citizens of the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus didn't live His life in a vacuum. He didn't live His life in separation from the history of mankind before Him. But He lived in intentional fulfillment of the story of the people of God. So Jesus is the new exodus. And our deliverance is a picture and a better picture of God's saving work, just like we have in the exodus. The next point is that Jesus brings a new creation. Jesus brings a new creation. After, after Israel was delivered from Egypt, marched across the Red Sea, dry-footed, wandered around in the wilderness forever and ever, it seemed like. They were given the law, had it read to them, right before they walked into the promised land. Right before they walked into this land that was supposed to not just be just another country, it was supposed to be the beginning of God making everything new. Israel was going to be the center point of God's work in all creation. And through them, through their keeping of God's law, through their exemplifying to all the nations what it looks like to live as God intends, they would usher in a new reality where their king would not just be the king of Israel, but he would be the king of the universe. And all along, that was supposed to be Yahweh, their God, but they begged for a human king, and so God said, okay, I'll give you a human king, and he'll be the one. He'll be the one who will rule over everything. And they were presented this land, not just as a nation, but as a picture and as a fulfillment of what God intended in the Garden of Eden. They were going to be given a land where they had fruit from trees they didn't plant, where they had milk from cows they didn't raise, where they had honey 
from bees they didn't make. All these blessings would be theirs in spite of themselves. And that would be this new creation they would live in. And what we discover in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, check this out. He is the image of the invisible God. When we hear that word image coming out of Paul's mouth, we ought to be transported immediately back to Genesis 1. Our minds ought to just go, got it, got it. We're talking about creation. Image, creation. Because the image is the one who would represent God to all creation. Anybody remember who were made as God's images? It was humans. Humans were made as God's images. And their job was to carry out this task of representing God to all the creatures in the garden. And carrying this garden reality to all of creation. That's what their job was. What we find out is that Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Jesus is a new creation. Jesus is the new humanity. Jesus is everything humans were supposed to be. And Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise God ever made to humans. Jesus brings a new creation. Paul continues, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. In other words, Jesus made everything. Jesus remakes everything. And not only that, Jesus does everything that God requires of us. All things are through Him. All things are for Him. Jesus is the new everything. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What we discover is that Jesus rescues us from thrones, powers, dominions, authorities. All of us have heard those words before. And we can take them and try to sort them out. And I've heard scholars try to take them and figure out what each one is and try to figure out what order they come in and how powerful they are and all that stuff. Listen, nobody knows the answers to those questions. Here's what we know. Jesus is the balm for every wound. Jesus is the cure for every illness. Jesus is the solution to every problem. Jesus is the victory in every battle. Jesus is above all. Jesus created all. Jesus is in all. And everything comes through Him. There is no good thing that we have or can point to that has any source other than Jesus. There is no reality we can hope for that has any source other than Jesus. He is everything. And in Him, everything is new. He's a new creation. He is the head of His body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Every element of creation has been bothered by sin. We cannot point to a relationship. We cannot point to a part of nature. We cannot point to a worldly system. We cannot point to anything that has not been bothered by sin. 
And the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ is God's massive project of renewal that takes in every single thing that has been bothered by sin. Things as big as unjust governmental systems and things that might seem as insignificant as your attitude towards your parents, kids. Things that are as big as fraudulent business practices and things that might seem as small as our own addictions that we try to sweep under the rug. Everything that has been bothered by sin has been brought in to the project of renewal carried out by God through Jesus for us. Everything. And He has made peace between God and man by the blood of His cross. Jesus brings a new creation. Here's the third point. You are part of this new reality. You are part of this new reality. Verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. I'm going to read it one more time. Let it sink in. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Listen, I know that it gets boring to continue to put our minds to the task of understanding Scripture, but Christianity is by nature a thinking sort of place. Christians, by nature, are a thinking sort of people. We, we have to do it because it's only by thinking about God's Word that it's ever going to affect the way we think. We can't expect to just go through life thinking about all sorts of things and never considering God's Word and expect that God's going to somehow change the way we think. But if you don't think your thinking needs changing then we've got bigger problems to talk about. Every single one of us, our attitudes, our desires, our hopes, all of that has been bothered by sin. And we continue to inflame the problem by continuing to live in rebellion against God, by continuing to serve ourselves, by continuing to obey ourselves, by continuing to be led by our appetites and desires, instead of submitting to the Word of God, presented to us in the person of Jesus and in the Scriptures. So we have to think about what that means for us. That's why Paul says, You who were alienated and hostile in mind... In other words, your thoughts by nature are contrary to the will of God. My thoughts by nature are contrary to the will of God. My hopes by nature are contrary to the will of God. And we cannot by nature trust ourselves to want what God wants, do what God wants, and hope what God wants. Can't trust ourselves like that. We have to get into God's Word understand God's Word, 
Let it change the way we think. And if we are unwilling to do that, if we fail to do that, then we are just going through the motions and calling ourselves Christians when we really are not. There is no such thing as a believer who has not been transformed by the gospel. There is no such thing as a citizen of the kingdom of God who has not submitted his mind to Christ. There is no salvation without submission. It just doesn't exist. So many of us, we have to quit fooling ourselves. We have to present our minds with truth and submit ourselves to it so it can change us into who Jesus would have us be. And He has begun this work in us. He has begun this work in us, in His body of flesh, by His death. So that when we identify ourselves with Jesus in His death by faith, then we are identified by Him in His life. When we submit ourselves to His death, He raises us to His new life. And He makes us like Him. And He does this in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. We're all part of this new reality. The fourth point is this. There is a big if. I don't like it when I see if in the Bible. Not one bit. Because usually the ifs are exactly the part that I'm going to mess up, you know. But here's what Paul says. All this is ours. We share in the new exodus. We share in the new creation. We're part of this new reality. If, in verse 23, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we share in Christ's deliverance, we share in this new creation, we share in this new reality, if we hold on to the gospel. If we hope in the gospel. If we do not swerve from the gospel. If we don't turn loose of the gospel. I want to ask us some questions to help us discover whether we're those who are holding on to the gospel. First of all, if you hope in the gospel, if you hope in the gospel, over time, your emotions will begin to come into alignment with that hope. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Do your emotions respond in joy to the proclamation of the gospel? When you hear proclaimed, Jesus is King, everything is new, God has fulfilled His plans for all mankind through Jesus, when you hear that, does your heart within you proclaim it? Does your heart kind of jump for joy, amen? Yes. Do your emotions respond to the proclamation of the gospel? That doesn't mean you're going to all of a sudden become a more emotional person. Some of you, it'd be hard to get you to get excited. I don't care what anybody does. I mean, I could fall off the stage, break every bone in my body, and some of you just be like, you know. And that's just, you're just not that emotional of a person. And it can be helpful or it can be unhelpful. We're just all different. But, knowing who you are, 
knowing the levels that your emotions get to and don't get to, do your emotions respond to the proclamation of the Gospel? That's the first question. If not, we need to be a little bit concerned. Maybe a whole lot concerned. Second question. Second question. When things in your life do not go as you would have liked them to go, when you meet situations that are unpleasant, unhelpful, inconvenient, are you tempted to set the gospel aside? Or do you find yourselves clinging to it even more tightly? Because God has programmed His people to grab hold of the gospel with everything they've got when life gets hard. That's why we see so often perseverance and steadfastness paired with this idea of salvation. Because it's part of the program. So do you find yourselves walking away from the gospel when life gets hard? Or clinging to it more tightly when life gets hard? And finally, is your hope wired to the moving forward of the kingdom of God? Or is your hope wired to the moving forward of the kingdom of yourself? I've asked it another way before. When you dream your dreams, who's, who's the star? You or Jesus? When you imagine your future, when you think about all that you want to see happen in your lifetime, Who's the star of your imagination? You or Jesus? There's only room for one superstar. And He has accomplished everything on our behalf so that we can enjoy everything that He's brought into existence through His achievement on the cross. Where's your hope? Who's your hope?